Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Fliptix has created its own brand of business value when it comes to selling tickets to fill vacated space at a wide range of events. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name, and I was so pleased to have Fliptix CEO Jamie Siegel join me to discuss their innovative way of maximising customers experiencing an event and venues maximising revenue. Let's meet Jamie. I'm currently the CEO of Fliptix, which is a startup company uh, that we're going to talk about. But I came to this, uh, to Fliptix, after almost 30 years of uh, being an IP attorney. I worked for Sony for many, many years, uh, leading uh, IP initiatives around the world and built new businesses in China for Sony and ran some pretty hefty P&Ls in the intellectual property space. I always say life's an adventure, and unless you have stories to tell, it hasn't been much of a life. So a couple of things that, that I'm doing lately that are kind of fun are I'm uh, on the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is a lot of fun. Um, and I'm also uh, on the National Advisory Board for the Teen Cancer America charity, which is Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend's charity, which does some amazing things for uh, teenagers with cancer. And uh, other than that, we're just trying to get through this crisis. Granted, I'm living in Newport Beach, California. There are worse places to have to have been quarantined. Uh, we're just getting through. Jamie, it's, uh, it's interesting as I've had the, the great fortune to speak to other wonderful innovators uh, heading their startups. You talk about things very, very fundamentally and very matter-of-factly, but your time management must be ridiculously good. So uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting you talk about uh, any any one of the things you've just spoken about could take up all of my week, let alone an element of yours. Well, you know, Tony, I went to I was an engineer originally, and I went back to law school at night, and uh, I, I got through law school. I only studied on Saturdays, mainly because my wife, who was in medical school, made me study on Saturdays. But I worked a full-time job and three part-time jobs all the way through law school. And at the end of the day, it's you just kind of, uh, you do what you need to do. And uh, I, I don't like quiet time. Always have to be moving. We have come together in this conversation after I saw what you're doing with FlipTix. And it just seems like an amazing venture. The charm of it, when I saw it, I'll ask you to take me through some of the complexity of it and also some of the simplicity of it. But when I looked at it, I thought, this is remarkable and I've never seen it before. And I could imagine being a customer. And I wonder if you could just take me into the into FlipTix. What was in your mind that when the light bulb happened? And then what helped you go from that point to actually where you are now? The original idea was not mine, but ideas are only worth uh, the ink that's used to write them down. Without execution, ideas are worthless. I spent my whole career around innovation, being a patent attorney. And exactly your point, what you mentioned is what made me so attracted and why I thought there was a business here is was because it's unique. We're the only company in the world to do this, which meant that I could protect it. And I've advised startups for decades. And what I usually advise startups on is their intellectual property strategy, because it can be quite expensive. And what was really intriguing about Fliptix is that it's not better, faster, or cheaper. It is completely new. And 99.9% of startups are just better, faster, and cheaper. The opportunity to go in and build something and literally create an entire segment that didn't exist 
A, it seemed like a fun challenge. B, I knew how to make value in it by protecting it with intellectual property. And it's in a space, an event, in the event space that I really have a lot of fun with. And I've always uh, you know, been pretty connected to the music business and a big sports fan. So it's been a way to kind of have fun with what you do. It also seemed to me like you've brought the promise that has been there for years, maybe maybe a decade at least, of real-time location, tribes in the moment, being able to act without a penalty. And it's clearly what you're doing is not resale. It is a brand new model. How has that been embraced by people on, on both sides of the supply chain, if you like? Uh, we've had tremendous response. The, the, the trick here is that as a new technology, uh, new is one of the hardest things to sell because people think about it in terms of what they're familiar with. So we constantly get people thinking, oh, so you're just another reseller. But no, we're, we're, we don't resell tickets, period. We resell space and nobody resells space. So getting that first adopter, as with any new technology, startups in general, you always have to find the first entity to work with you. But we had an extra special problem because we had to find a true early adopter that was open to a new technology and a new path. And we found that with initially with a small venue, uh, one of our advisors, and he basically opened up his venue to let us test all sorts of things. But the first real event we did was the Cabo Del Mar Music Festival in San Diego. And uh, the CFO is the person we cut the deal with because the CFO immediately understood this is a no-brainer. It costs us nothing. It's going to make us more money. Why would we not do it? But recognizing that any any event owner, the branding of that event, uh, they spend years and years building up the trustworthiness of that brand with consumers. So to be partnered with with a new company, it's it's oftentimes very hard for uh, particularly if they if it's a reflection on that company, right? So that's where my my background and my president's background. We each had 16 years at Sony on different sides of the business, but we know what a brand means and we know that value. Of a brand, so that's why uh, Caboose aligned with us. We took in so many bands that first festival. We literally took in, I think, one night. We took in like seven hundred wristbands on Saturday night of a three-day festival. Far too many, <laughs> far too many. And we learned some really valuable lessons. But we validated this market. People leave events early. We knew ahead of time that thirty percent of people, because we had done a study, thirty percent of people leave events early. I was the head of security at Madison Square Garden 30 years ago, and I can tell you, people leave early all the time. And it's not because it's a bad event. It's not because the score is lopsided. It's just life. People don't fit their lives into the arbitrary schedule of an event promoter. And that's really just capturing. And that's a key message we have is that we're not, we're not necessarily changing behavior, although we are causing them steps, but we're just capturing behavior that's being done anyway, people leaving early. That's a remarkable expression of what you're doing. And there are many facets to it. You've immediately made me think about as we live in a highly connected online world and where we're traced around the internet, whether we like it or not, and that data is used to advise strategy and to enable execution. What you're also capturing, uh, not only do you have a new offering to the market, but you're capturing data that was never captured before. That's right. We call it time tolerance data. Uber can know that you are on a corner, but they don't know if you came from where to get there. Uh, our whole concept, uh, you know, right now we physically engage with people, but our platform is built to be completely passive. It's about knowing if I know that Tony leaves at a certain point, I don't know what, what sport in Australia you're a fan of, and I don't know how you measure cricket matches, but if you leave at a certain point and I could statistically model that, that means that now I can predict when you're going to be leaving 
with accuracy and deliver targeted content to you that's relevant as you're leaving. In, the industry always face, focuses on, has always traditionally focused on getting you into an event. They don't focus on what happens after the event and when you're exiting because that's time actually for action. That's the most valuable data point. When I can influence what you're going to do now, that's a tremendously valuable data point. Being able to fill in that lost time. And, and you talk about the, the sports that uh, – you opened the door for me to talk about the sports I, I follow in Australia. So cricket is is my first love. And when I first saw Fliptex, it actually made me reflect on being uh, a teenager attending cricket matches. And cricket matches run – this podcast is not long enough and I'm not smart enough to explain succinctly. <laughs> Cricket Cricket's a challenging sport to explain. But what I will say, in a day of a, of a day, it, it can be broken into three parts. So there are three two-hour sessions. And as a teenager, I would be able to go after school and attend the final session of the day for free. They would open the gates and that would bring people in after work. The game would go, the last session might go from maybe 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. and people would go and catch the last half hour on the way home. And that changed. So now if I was in the vicinity of the Sydney Cricket Ground and wanted to go in toward the end of a day, I can't do that. So there's an impact on me, everything that goes on inside the ground, my brand loyalty, because if I have the time to do something and I can't do it there, then what am I going to do? And there are all the other knock-on effects. You talk about the after the event, but also it would be interesting to just understand how you think about that during the event, being able to have, in fact, more than one person per space per event. There are people that are running a whole ecosystem inside the events. They get to benefit well in excess of, of how they would have previously. So from merchandise, for example. Simply by putting butts into seats, as we say, it creates more energy, which fuels more energy on the players or the performers, right? People want livelihood. That's going to be the biggest challenge post-COVID is having no fans. That's why they're piping in fan noise, because it just boosts up performance. It's really interesting. I wasn't aware of the three, two-hour sessions, but that's exactly the situation where flip ticks can thrive, because even if an event's not sold out, one thing I know consistently in sporting events, the best seats are always full. And it's not about filling people in the upper deck. But if someone goes to enjoy the first two sessions in the best seats in the house and they're done, they had four hours plus the intervening time and they're done. Now someone else can come and buy that seat for the remaining time for that event and have a great seat, becoming an aspirational customer, right? So it changes you from a casual fan to a core fan. If you're always going to the upper deck, well, that's the experience you have. And maybe down the years, you'll think maybe I'll be able to buy a season ticket for the great seats. But now you can actually experience those great seats. And that makes you all the more motivated to try and ex you understand the difference between what it is to experience an event from good seats versus not so good seats. I could also imagine that it allows you to view an event in a very granular way. I could actually picture and just use cricket or any sport where I might be wanting Particularly, I might be a huge fan of a particular player. And if I know that that player is actually, to, if you allow me to go to the cricket situation again, where a match can go for five days, if my favourite bowler or my favourite batter isn't performing their core skill on day one, but they are in the afternoon in that third session on day two, I would pay a premium to be able to see what I actually want to see live at the ground to experience that. It really did capture my attention when I saw what you were doing. And as we're speaking, it, it's even more exciting. Well, you know, Tony, our tagline is life is flexible, events should be too. And it's really, and, and, and we look at neither you or I are zillennials. 
<laughs> well, although maybe in our minds, but uh, the world, you know, physically we move on. But uh, Zillennials are very much about the experience as opposed to the stuff. And in, a, in America, that's a very significant thing because Americans always been about the stuff. But Zillennials are about the experience where they'll go in just to get a just to get a selfie in an event. But this is a great uh and, and first, it's really important for the promoters because when they own the events, it's so hard to make money in events these days, uh, whether it's sports where you have to, you know, most sports are looking at downsizing stadiums, right? Because people have so many different distractions these days. But if you can just maximize the efficiency of the seats that you have, A, it, uh, we, we impact uh, both top line revenue by driving more revenue sales in terms of our flips. Uh, but we also reduce the cost for the event on a, on a financial calculation because every new person that comes in lowers your cost per attendee because the costs are kind of fixed once the event starts, right? So if I bring in, let's say if I bring in 1% more people to a cricket match, well, that's going to lower their cost per attendee by 1%. And it's actually going to increase their profitability far more than that 1% because every person that goes in, they're going to buy beer, I don't know. I don't know what the food is in the U.S. would be a hot dog or uh, or something like that. And they may buy merchandise. And what we found time and time again, our customers typically wind up spending more money uh, than someone that's been there the whole time. Why? Because they paid less for a ticket and they're more focused on they want to go get the most out of that experience because they're there for a more limited time. And the other piece is that whereas you you could probably show up and buy that last ticket, but you're going to pay full price for that ticket as if you went to the beginning of the day. We dynamically price. So we reflect not a discount, but we reflect the value of what's left. And it's, uh, you know, it's an algorithm that we've built where it goes down generally over time, but it changes based on demand. So if it's super high demand, prices may stay up. And the other key point we have is that we never charge more than face value for a ticket. So that's consistent with most of the rest of the world. Uh, we are fan friendly. We never charge more than face value and the buyer never pays a fee. So you can't get much more fan friendly than that. It's a powerful story. And, and you spoke right at the very start talking about an idea is nothing without execution and the execution being able to hear you talk about the business value, it's really powerful. And it's no wonder that you're in the situation you are and, and with the funding you have and the, the momentum you're building. With that momentum, though, we, we're living in a time where uh, a lot of things have been slowed down a little. Could you maybe speak to what the, the if I refer to it as a COVID era, is the pandemic, how that's impacted your business and and how you're thinking about that. And also what was in your mind from a, a market as you started and maybe some adjustments you've had to make? So we made a decision as any startup. Uh, I've always taught my startups that the key message is the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And it's about focus. And it's very easy. I suffered from it when we just started. It's very easy to just be scattershot in your approach because you see so much opportunity. But the reality is you need to be focused. And we made a decision to focus on music festivals. Similar to your description of cricket, music festivals, they have multiple bands, different fans. It's over time, generally lots of days. And people fatigue or they just don't have interest in the whole event. They want to experience part of it. And they were not every day. So it allowed us to service events with hundreds of thousands of people to make a big impact to show value in our startup. Sports was uh, something that was very opportunistic for us because sports, there's a lot of events. Most sports in the U.S. are generally short format, under three hours. It becomes much more opportunistic about you have to have somebody in the area that can capitalize on a seat that opens up. And leagues generally require big dollars to tie in. So that's we thought that was 
clearly downstream. The COVID crisis has created an interesting situation. Number one is that uh, it actually creates, while our business is screeched to a grinding halt, it's an opportunity for us to continue to build on technology for our platform uh, without distraction. Number two, um, it's the importance of filling in empty seats is going to be even more critical because an event may have 20% capacity. And now if you have one person leave, you want to refill that seat because you are already running 80% below where you would like to be. And every person can have a significant outsized impact. So we think the opportunities actually increased in terms of the relationships we're building. As you know, we got tied up with Startup Bootcamp when we won you know, one of the 10 companies globally to get into that cohort. And that's fantastic because that's allowed us to now pivot for a focus onto Australian, the Australian market in particular, and sports, because many of our partners are big sports owners at cricket, Grand Prix, horse racing, long format events where there is fatigue and natural turnover that we could drive more revenue and more fan engagement and better experiences. And it costs our partners absolutely nothing. So it's really an amazing time for opportunity. This is a compelling story. Could you maybe share... For if someone was listening to the podcast and they were thinking about an accelerator program as the Startup Bootcamp represents, could you share some of your thinking that prompted you to apply? And by the way, I've had a little bit to do with the Startup Bootcamp, a fantastic program. Congratulations on that. It's just a tremendous, tremendous platform and the people there do a terrific job. But the steps that you go through and the decisions you had to make, because it's not just a wake up one morning, we're going to do this. How do you build it into your strategy? I think it's very important for any startup, really for anybody. I teach at UC Irvine Law School. I, every semester I teach class. I always get it drilled into the heads of my students. Network early, network often. Network, network, network. Because your network is really your net worth. When there's opportunity, when something doesn't go so right and you have to go find yourself finding a new place, who do you go to? Your network. Those relationships are really important. So as a startup CEO, I never miss an opportunity to network because you never know what the opportunity is going to be. Quite frankly, we started boot camp. They came to Los Angeles. I didn't really understand what they were what they were about. I understand they were from Australia. I knew I wanted to expand globally. And I went to just go talk to them and see what was going on. And pitching is kind of something that's in your blood. Once you start pitching, you just can't stop. And I was really impressed with Ollie Howard, who was the representative for Startup Bootcamp that was vetting groups. And I recognize that we are a little bit more advanced than many of the companies and accelerators, both in terms of the stage of our company, as well as the experience of our management team. But in my view, it's about relationships and strategic partnerships. And that's really why I think Startup Bootcamp and their partners who voted on us to make the cohort saw that this was an opportunity to build relationships. So, you know, I, I'm still, I get tidbits out of the, pro, it's a very well-run program. They give, I, I make sure to do all our homework every week and I listen to everything and, I, and I've opened it up to my team to also make them get better, right? To improve their skills. Frankly, I think other companies in the cohort, they're going to get a lot more out of it. They're going to learn a lot more. And at times I actually am able to contribute based on experience, but it's these relationships are fantastic. And we're really looking forward to the startup boot camp paving the way for us to expand into Australia. Yeah, brilliant. Well, you've got a customer here, so I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> when you see somebody sign up for their third session of a day at the cricket, you know that it's me. <laughs> well, Tony, I may, I may have to connect with you when I come down because I have a lot to learn about our Australian sports. As soon as the borders open, even if it's a 14-day quarantine in a hotel, I'm coming down and planning on spending a, a month to just to understand. And I've been meaning to come to Australia for a very long time. Fantastic. It'll be a pleasure to have you here. The um, 
you've actually spoken to uh, some points that imply a decision process inside a startup. When you actually began FlipTix versus now, uh, are there any subtle changes between how you were making decisions then and how you've actually started to make decisions now? Absolutely. So initially, you are trying to grasp for anything. The first step was, so when I took over the company, there was really nothing there. And I took about six months, and I am my own consulting firm. So I had the luxury of, uh, you know, I didn't have to, it wasn't all or nothing for me, which is a, it was a significant thing. Because the, I don't know if you, if you use a saying, it takes money to make money, but it's very much true. And I took about six months to really understand the business potential and the opportunity. And I became convinced that this really was unique. And this really was a, a, an amazing opportunity. So at that point, I had decided I had to go raise money because you have to kind of go big or go home. And it's not that we went out to raise a hundred million dollars, but we raised a million and a quarter dollars within three months of deciding we were launching the company uh, in a big way. And that allowed me to hire some key people because it's very hard to, if you're bootstrapping a company, it's your own money and it's, it's going to be hard to, to hire other people to do it. And we all want to do everything. And a good startup CEO is a jack of all trades in some extent, but you need to hire people that are really qualified because you can't do everything. And that's really how we built out. And once we did that, the biggest challenge we had was A, building a platform and finding out how, how was I going to do that without hiring an entire tech team, which I didn't have the money for. And we got creative on how we did that and finding that first partner. And that was, if we didn't find the first partner, none of it would have mattered. And if I didn't find the tech, if I didn't build tech platform, having a partner wouldn't have mattered. So there's key things you have to identify that have to happen. And then once you validate that, hey, this is going to work, now you need to listen to the advice of others. Um, I don't, I don't, not to, uh, to use any, uh, I know Australia is much more comfortable with, let's just say colorful language. So I always like to refer to Snoop Dogg, that great philosopher who said on an interview in radio, if you're not coachable, you ain't going to be shit. <laughs> and that's really important. You have to be coachable. And I was lucky enough to surround myself some, by some really great experienced advisors right out of industry, right out of leadership uh, of all different flavors that could build on my skill set. So that's really the path was have a solid business plan. Uh, don't assume, don't, don't go crazy on building out 50 page business plans. It's, that's nonsense. You're just really making an educated guess at this early stage and get good advisors to, and, and listen to them. doesn't mean you always have to agree with them, but solicit advice and vet your ideas. That was really the key thing that got us launched. That's that's a brilliant summary. And in fact, you've taken us through a path of idea to identifying and moving into your market deeper with real value to all participants. But you've also given us some philosophy from Snoop Dogg. And I'm not too sure that, that we should extend beyond now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Tony, one thing I was going to say is that it was interesting. We had some uh, part of the struggle of actually leading the company versus advising is we had some advice early on that we really needed to focus on one particular place. And look, it makes sense when you have marketing dollars. If we could focus on one city, way better use of marketing dollars than being all over the place. But the reality was is that that was a great plan. But unless you had the events to back it up, the plan was irrelevant. So you have to be very opportunistic in things. And based on the opportunity, then you can take the focus. So how had a sports team come to us and say, hey, listen, Jamie, we want Flip Ticks to, to launch with the, the, the New York Yankees. Well, guess what? Our focus would have become sports. Uh, but Kaboo came to us and 
that opportunity was music festivals and it worked and it was great. So music festivals became our, our focus, but we still remain very opportunistic where other opportunities are, are, you don't want to overextend yourself, but you'd also need to be very careful about where you say no. So it's kind of keeping that and keeping our team focused on being hungry and finding those opportunities and vetting which opportunities are really truly opportunities and not just rabbit holes. It certainly crossed my mind as I was researching before today and to think that it would almost be like the opening scene of Star Wars where anything could look like an opportunity, but how do you actually bring that down to, no, we actually understand ourselves well enough and the value we can bring that we can go and explain it rather than just those bright lights ripping on by. Yeah, and it's even it's even more amazing in that uh, I recognize that whatever we thought on day one as our opportunity, a year later was probably going to be completely different. And it's having that open-mindedness. And, and in fact, that's what, exactly what happened over the last year. We thought we were going to pop up tents at, a, at festivals and we'd engage, take wristbands and cut them off people and, and engage with people that way. But what we learned and what we realized is that, you know what? Music festivals already have everybody there. They don't need us there. Let's build the business where we are completely remote, where we become a SaaS solution. And our technology empowers this. And that's the path we're going down. And guess what? By changing that little change, and it's going to be a transition over time, we're going to wind up with a company that is going to be far more valuable than if we were doing a company that was based simply on transactions. It's an incredible story when you describe your your process. It, it makes me reflect on artificial intelligence and, and machine learning and, all, and data and all these good things where no one would challenge a statement that says they're important. But when the question is asked, are you able to deliver and extract business value from them? For many organizations, they're having to actually evolve to a yes, where you're actually starting from that point, which is just an incredible position to be starting from. Well, you also have to be okay with being wrong. If you haven't been wrong, then you haven't been edgy enough in your decision-making or or you're just in complete denial. I've certainly made decisions that if I went back, you know, it wasn't the best decision, but you learn from your bad decision, from bad decisions. The key thing is to make a decision, right? The worst thing you can do is analysis paralysis. That creates no opportunity. In fact, it creates anti-opportunity because who wants to... You need a you need a really energized team to work for you at a startup. And what kind of really highly motivated, energized people want to work for someone or with someone that can't make a decision or rides a decision into the ground when they clearly see that it's wrong? And you know, I like to think that the kind of team I built is that I want people to have opinions and to share those opinions and feel free to share those opinions. The book Startup Nation for me was uh, the beginning. If you ever read Startup Nation, it's a fantastic book. It's about why is Israel the most entrepreneurial place on the planet? And the whole idea that I've implemented where I go around with the most junior person on a call to ask what their thoughts are first, because a junior person is highly unlikely to contradict their boss. But if you ask them their opinion first, you're more likely to get really interesting, different perspectives. You've shared so much today, and I'm just so grateful that you joined me on on the podcast. And it feels like there's there's plenty more to explore, and I'd love to be able to speak with you again. But to take us behind the curtain of a startup and to to share some of the, the decisions and steps and uh, the things that you can't get out of a, a handbook, I really appreciate it. And thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Tony, for having me. I look forward to chatting again. I hope you enjoyed the FlipTick story as much as I did, and it will be great to watch their growth. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.